Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is The Forest at the End of the World, written by Thomas Kent West and narrated by Manny Riogai. On the tenth day through the forest, when he was beginning to doubt that they would ever find the sea, his wife's contraction started. They began in a ruined house in the woods, in what was once a suburb of a nearby city, as their other two children slept. All around them, the broken walls of the house were barely keeping out the surrounding forest. The ceiling had been pushed open by the tops of trees, letting the moon peer in on them like a blind eye. "'It's my watch,' Sarah said, her voice weak, already fading into sleep. The walk had been tough on her, back arched, hand on her swollen belly. "'I'll take it,' Mark said. "'Besides, we're almost to the coast.' Sarah smiled, closed her eyes maybe not even hearing what Mark said. He covered her with a ratty sleeping bag, then checked on Billy and Margaret. They slept side by side for warmth, with Billy tucked in Margaret's arms. He was proud of them, in a way, proud of Margaret especially, only fourteen and caring for her brother like she was an adult. Soon she wouldn't have to be a grown-up. There would be survivors on the coast, where the sand and rocks began, where the water was brackish. The trees couldn't survive there, They couldn't. He moved to the door of the collapsing house, slanted sideways, wood beams cracking under the weight of the sagging roof. He stood on the porch, looked out into the forest as far as he could. The pine trees began to fold together, after a point, growing so thick and tall that they obscured anything past ten feet. Not long ago he could see for miles along those plains. Could stand tall enough you would like to see the curve of the long earth. 
Now the tall trees obscured even the stars, making his compass the only way they knew north. Those plains had been filled with music, songbirds and cattle and cicadas as loud as chainsaws. Now there was only the mist and quiet wood, the orange pine needles laying three feet deep in places, swallowing the sound of their lonely footsteps. He remembered when it first started. He remembered reading that climate change was solved. Scientists had created a tree that sucked up so much carbon, humans could keep burning oil forever, and the trees would just keep eating. They didn't know the trees would take all that carbon and make wood as strong as steel, that they would drink up all the water, would spread through pollen to every crevice, drown out all other life, would grow even from the corpses of the dead. The trees kept eating all right. In the morning, Mark woke and Billy was gone. Margaret and Sarah began to cry. Who had been on watch at the end of the night? It had been Mark, and then Sarah, and then Margaret. Or Sarah thought she woke Margaret, but Billy was still there at that point, asleep in his sister's arms. Of course, the hard part was that Mark was not surprised. In the town they'd come from, people had been wandering into the forest for years. By the time they'd left, their town of 1,000 had whittled down to less than 50. The vanishing sickness, they called it. Some kind of impact of the trees, either psychological or chemical. Something in the strange mist they gave off. But never one of them. Never his family. Never his son. He risked going around the house once, making sure his hand didn't leave the wooden siding. If he wandered off, if he let the forest call him out, he might never find his way back again. The woods had a way of making you forget, making you wander farther and farther through the trees. He was certain that was what happened to Billy. He'd woken to go to the bathroom, gotten a little too far from the house, but Billy, even at seven, knew to have a rope leading back to camp. He came to the other side of the house, and there he saw the indentations in the deep pine needles. Two little feet carrying off into the trees. He made sure he had a mark on them, tried to remember which of the millions of identical trees indicated their location. When he returned to his wife and daughter, Sarah was having another contraction. Margaret sat by her side, weeping, holding her mother's hand, looking up at Mark with haggard eyes. It was happening. The baby was coming soon. When the contraction passed and Sarah could stand, the remaining three of them set off after Billy. Mark went first, tied around the waist with a sturdy climbing rope to Sarah, who was in turn fastened to Margaret. They went around the house together, began to follow along Billy's tracks, feet dragging through the pine needles at their ankles. Above them, the silent trees swayed in the wind, overcast sky hanging just above them. They walked along what was left of an old highway, a thin strip of solid asphalt that hadn't been totally eaten by the trees on either side. They walked past big box stores with forests growing out of their roofs, walked by old office buildings with the glass walls broken out, replaced by a vertical forest. On either side of the highway, abandoned cars lay rusting, some even turned topside by the slow power of growing things. They passed no animals, no deer or squirrels. No birds sang in the branches. The trees ate everything, but nothing ate the trees. They stopped at a gas station off the highway, seeing the tall broken signpost standing amidst the trees. 
They made their way down the root-broken overpass and salvaged what they could. A single packet of Pop-Tarts for Margaret, a sealed protein shake for Mark. Sarah wasn't hungry, but Mark went to the back of the store, grabbed what medicine he could, painkillers and antiseptic wipes. Water was the most important, and he found two blessed bottles still intact. The trees ate any water they could find. Every pond, river and stream was now a bed of saplings, all fighting for the last drop. Then, a scream. The bottle of antiseptic he'd been holding slipped from his fingers, smashed on the floor amid the saplings growing there. He turned and ran to the front of the store, just in time to see the door swing shut. Margaret! Sarah screamed, hobbling towards the door. Margaret! Her voice cracked with agony, her face stained with tears. Each step she took looked agonising, one hand on her belly, the other reaching towards the door. Mark grabbed her before she could reach the handle, and his wife collapsed to the floor, into his arms. What happened? Where is she? Mark asked. She said she heard Billy, Sarah said, through the subs. I told her not to go, but she just ran off. Mark grabbed his climbing rope and latched it to a nearby shelf by the carabiner. I'll be right back, he said, and he ran through the doorway calling for Margaret. The trees swallowed his screams the moment they hit the endless canopy, like he was in a soundproof room. He looked at the pine needle floor, found the set of tracks leading in, and then another set of tracks leading to the right. He looked up and saw a flash of auburn hair in the distance, a pink strap of a backpack disappearing into the trees. Margaret! He screamed, but the words died soundlessly in the woods. He ran after her, dragged his feet through pine needles. Why wasn't she turning? Margaret! He called again. He followed her deeper into the woods, caught another flash to his right. He turned, rope dragging behind him, until he was sure he was standing just where she'd been. But now he caught a flash of her deeper, deeper into the woods, walking away from him, like she wanted him to follow. He stepped towards her, but instantly stopped. His rope was tangled through the trees, binding him in place, the path she'd led him on weaving his rope through the trunks. He was stuck like a spider in a web, aware of the huge, silent wood around him. Margaret! He called again, but the fight had left him. His daughter vanished, and only the woods remained. He wanted to sink down to his knees and weep, but there was no time. He felt a tug on the climbing rope. He stood, following the rope back to the abandoned gas station, the tugs getting stronger, pulling him home. When he finally returned to the gas station, he saw why Sarah was pulling. The space between her legs was soaked, her water broken all over the floor. Little saplings sprang up to drink it, unfurling in the moisture. It can't be here, Sarah whined. I don't want it to be here. Please, Mark, the coast. Her plea was cut off by a bitter scream. Mark moved almost by rote, just the way they'd practiced. He propped up whatever he could behind her back, opened up their birthing pack, gloves, sterilizing equipment, medicine. She screamed again, and the trees ate the sound. When it was over, the linoleum floor of the gas station was slick with blood. Little saplings rose from it, their seed pods sprouting open at the hint of water, their quickly growing needles sticky with red. The thing that was once his wife lay peacefully pale against the floor, arms outstretched, unmoving. The room was quiet now, after the screams had faded into the woods. He sat shaking, cradling the thing in his hands, 
His little boy, swaddled in a gas station t-shirt, wiped clean of his mother's blood. The baby was sleeping now, after crying fitfully for hours, desperate for its mother's warmth, for milk that wouldn't come. That night he didn't sleep, instead keeping vigil over his son, his remaining son. In the morning, he piled stones onto Sarah's corpse to make a cairn. The roots of the trees were too strong to break through for a grave, but they left plenty of rubble in their wake. But even as he buried her, he saw little seeds in the sweat on her skin, ready to break free, to use her body as a breeding ground, like so many they'd seen before. The stones wouldn't help, and there were no more animals to protect her from, but it made him feel better, like laying a blanket over a sleeping friend. He made some cold baby formula and tried to get his son to take the bottle, but all the baby did was cry and cry. He didn't know what to name him. Part of him felt wrong naming him anything, like acknowledging him would be some kind of bad luck. So he strapped the baby to a sling across his chest and set out into the forest, towards the coast. It took less time than he expected. They'd been maybe two hours from the sign that said Haverford Ocean Paradise and all of the ruined buildings that followed it. He moved down the main street, weaving between the tall pines that broke through the asphalt. He followed the signs for the harbour, weaving through the trees when he began to see the boats. At first, he thought they were cars, but as he neared them, he saw them still tied to broken docks, their hulls split by the reaching trees. The whole harbour had been eaten by them, packed so densely that the trees formed an impassable wall, and the saplings underfoot looked like grass. But that was only the harbour, surely, and the sea was just beyond. He could see it, the light coming through the canopy, the promise of open sky. As he approached the gap in the forest, the baby began to cry. Mark began to cry too. He thought of crisp air, of crashing waves, of people wandering the shore. Billy and Margaret had already found their way and someone would tell them that south there was a dock with a boat that would take them to an island where the trees didn't grow. He stumbled up a ridge, a small cliff topped by dead houses, a bluff overlooking the sea. Just there he could see open sky. He crested it, stepped to the edge where the roots reached into open air like greedy fingers, and saw beneath him an endless stretch of deep blue pine trees. They coated the seabed, lifting from sand and stone, growing so thick and tall that their boughs carried the corpses of boats. He screamed, and the forest swallowed it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. The Forest at the End of the World was written by Thomas Kent West, narrated by Manny Riogai, Edited by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch. And to Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for helping me to raise an army of the dead to take over the social media blogosphere. Thomas Kent West is an American writer of speculative fiction. He's the winner of Horror Babble's Artifacts of Horror Contest and the Black Hole Entertainment Short Fiction Prize. Thomas has previously published with the other stories as Thomas X Teller. You can read more of his work by visiting his Twitter at Thomas Kent West. 
Many Real Guy was forged in the center of a supernova 10,000 years from now. He rides the cosmic waves and feasts on dying planets shitting out stars. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. 